So I get there. I ran a pretty good time. I think I ran a four four something. Well, okay, what'd you um, really run? Yeah, no, I'm smoking. <laughs> I was, like, I was riding. I was smoking. Hey, no, hey, that's you, not it. That's you, not are, the story. you are smoking. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that one clock, that one scout that got your 449. Yeah, and this was four, digital, Official brother. 462. Hey. Fly it. <laughs> so this is the Darren Woodson Show. Uh, our first out-of-the-box Darren Woodson show. And I actually didn't want to name it the Darren Woodson show, but the two gentlemen with me said, hey, man, just, let's just go with it. So we're going we're gonna to go with the Darren Woodson show. And I, and I want to start off by saying this. 14 years, or 13 years actually with the Dallas Cowboys, and I retired and went into the ESPN and for 14 years. And for 14 years, what I did on TV was great. I was, had a great time. Mm-hmm. But it was always scripted, and we really couldn't be fully transparent. The one thing we used to always say when I was on the set with, before I got on the set, we sit in the green room. The things we used to say in the green room, we really wanted that to be on the show. Mm-hmm. That's uncut. That is Trey Wingo or Brian Dawkins or Teddy Bruschi at their finest <laughs> when we're in the green room. So I wanted to do this podcast fully unscripted. Fully transparent, and in the end, I want to enlighten the viewers that are out there on not only sports, but the transition of life and the life that I've had to go through, uh, my life that I've gone through over the years as far as just being a regular student, growing up, being a high school football player, college football player, going into the NFL, and then really experiencing life for what it really is once I retired. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done, that transition. And the guys I have today with us today is Tyler Klutz played a number of years in the NFL. Ben Gibbs did not play a number of years in in the NFL, but spent time at ACU, has a a football background. But three men that – three people, three guys in this room that have had to deal with the transition of life, Mm -hmm. three guys that – our family men, um, we go back and forth. We hold each other accountable in a lot of different ways, whether it be spiritually, whether it be, you know, just as guys, you know, working and, and being around each other, we're always holding each other accountable for things. And I want to give the audience and all the listeners out there what we go through on a daily basis, a daily basis, what are part of those what's happening in those life transitions that we've had to go through in, in our lives and enlighten you on some of the things that may be good for you or maybe be bad for you. You may not like it, but this is going to be fully unscripted, all the way transparent. The Darren Witchin Show is coming at you right now. I love it. I love it. Uh, so, so one of the things that uh, w- when Darren approached us to 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 get this off the ground, and he had this vision of, okay, hey, I want to do this with you guys. I want to I want to put together this program that we can be us, right? And there's so many things that you know, as a as an NFL player and and uh, you know, Ring of Honor member for the Dallas Cowboys right here, and future Hall of Famer, and things that people looked at him and had this this perception of this is his life, this is who he is, this is uh, the kind of guy that that he is in and he had it so easy and he had this path laid out for him and he he's an athlete so it was just easy for him 
Like that's not the case, right? Those gladiators that you see on Sunday, that's that is a lot of work, a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, but it's a lot of problems that everybody goes through. Yeah. We are not completely unique. Yes, like we have a unique job, 1% of the 1%. It was a, it was a unique job. But the greatest thing about your vision and what we're about to do here is that we get to share, yes, like it took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of those things. But there's a lot of other things that that we went through that a lot of the listeners are going to be going through right. or are going to go through or have gone through. And our goal here is not to say, hey, we have it figured out. Because as you'll hear on this podcast, there's a lot of stuff that we're still struggling with, you know, yeah. as, as fathers of young children and right. of adult children and all the things that we're going through in marriage and business and all these things. And there's a lot of experiences that we can be transparent about. That we can that we can talk about, shine some light on, bring on some guests that yes. have incredible stories, Absolutely. things that like I mean you'll hear some of the stories that, that Darren's going to tell and I'll tell and Ben are, that Ben's going to tell that like you won't even believe are true, yeah. but but it really is. But what you can do with those stories and applying those to life and look, there's a lot of motivational podcasts out there. There's a lot of a lot of things out there and a lot of content. We were just talking about it before the show. Um, there's a lot of things in, and we're consumers of information. And what we want to be that's just a little bit different is we just want to be transparent. We want to be real. Not everyone's going to agree with everything we say. Right. And we're not always going to agree with what our guests say. And I'm not always going to agree with what Darren says and what Ben says. But we're going to be out here and we're going to be real and we're going to put some pretty entertaining content. And the biggest thing you said, right, is that green room, but also bring that locker room. Bring the locker room mm-hmm. to it, yeah. And at the bar. Yeah. If we're sitting at the bar. This is the conversations. The conversations we're going to have on this show are as if we're sitting at the bar. Huh. And just like any other dudes, mm-hmm. you're, we're going to say something. Maybe t- sometimes we're probably going to be reckless in what we say. Yeah. But that's that's the transparency of this, and we'll cut each other down in that process. But fully raw and unscripted yeah. is this is what this show is going to be. That's right. That's right. I think I think one of the big things, and, and Ben and I were talking about this behind Darren's back, which usually when we talk about Darren, it's usually That's behind his back. Yeah. Never, never to his face. <laughs> but one of the things we, we wanted to do is, okay, this is this is our kickoff episode, right? This is welcome to the Darren Woodson Show. I think to understand what this vision is going forward and, and, and who we are and the heart behind uh, the mission of this podcast is that you need to get to know the heart behind the visionary that created this, right? And the, and the guy that... Um, that Ben and I both look up to. Mm. Um, I know, all, also, although both of us are taller than him, and physically he looks. You up guys to us. are not. Well, <laughs> Ben is taller than me. I'll give you that. Yeah, uh-huh, but Tyler, uh-huh. we're even hey. with even with it's the collisions. Hey, we're gonna get. Hey, we're gonna get a. We're gonna get a back to back. Like like Elmer's. <laughs> who's taller? Who's taller? We're gonna get one of those. Don't your big hands you got. Hey, That's I'll take is. anything I can get, man. <laughs> even with all the compressed, you know, collisions and the neck and all that, I still got him. Still got him. But we we look up to him and everything that he has because of the success that he's had on the field uh, with ESPN. In life, the the groundedness that he is, and everybody that I talk to that says, "Oh, you know Darren Woodson? Oh my gosh, dude, he's one of the best football players, one of the best safeties I've ever seen." It's like, but but you got to get to know the man that Darren is. And so our goal here for this kickoff episode is to dive into the life of Darren, understand who he is, how he got to this place, how he got to 13 years in the NFL, 10 years longer than the average career how he was successful on the career, but then how he made that transition and is continuing to make that transition. Because one of these things that we'll talk about on this show is a transition is not one single event, right? Right. It's a, it's a process that continues on and on and on and on. Ugh. 
And so we'll talk about that. But we do want to talk about and tell Darren's story. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard you speak because you get the opportunity to speak in front of a lot of companies, a lot of people. And 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 that's an, an, he does an amazing job. Any CEO, chief marketing officer, sell me. anyone, sell me. hey, <laughs> hire sell me. him because his story is is unbelievable. But <laughs> right. we're gonna we're gonna kind of go deeper than what you hear when Darren's up on stage. Because that's this platform, right? That's one of the cool things about this. And so we want to start with Darren, who you think, you know, it was a draft pick. He went to the Cowboys. He went to America's team. It was all easy. It was a rough road early on. And there was a lot of obstacles that he had to overcome and a lot of choices he had to make. All right, do I go this way like everyone else from yeah. my neighborhood? Or do I go this way and choose a different route? So I'm going to let Ben kick this off because uh, Ben and Darren know each other from a ways back and have spent a lot of intimate time. I think Ben's made Darren cry more than any human being <laughs> okay. on this planet. The man has never made me yeah. cry. Yeah, we have, we have I don't know about that. Why would he ever make me cry? in the weight room. Okay, so, yes, so, cry in the weight room. That's, yes, what, you have. that's exactly what I'm saying. You guys yeah. ever seen uh, uh, Dodgeball? Uh, when yeah. Ben Stiller is doing the squats, <laughs> squats and, legs and, and his legs shaking, that was Darren, and that, that was, was Ben me. behind him. He was Blaze. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a great intro of what what we're doing today, and, and we're gonna have a lot of good guests and um, interesting people, like Tyler said, people that we may not agree with everything or may have different views, and um, but we wanted to start this first episode getting to know Darren a little bit better. Um, I'm super excited. I've, like Tyler said, I've known Darren for five years now. Um, but I'm, I'm so excited to, to get to know you even better on a different level, learning about your background, learning where you grew up, mm. what brought you to it. Because I think people forget, um, I know I do, you forget that, that these athletes and these, these heroes have a life outside of whatever sport they play. Right, they they have a journey to get to wherever they got to, mm-hmm. um, and I think we forget that sometimes. So, first question, pretty basic: Where are you from? Tell the people, you know, what childhood was like, what your parents were like, what else brothers you and know? sisters. You want to know everything? My entire life. <laughs> yeah. I'm, All right, I'm just let's gonna just, open it up. Yeah, let's just. Yeah, start right, from let's the top, talk. Man. Let's talk about your birth, 1902. <laughs> Shoot, go. <laughs> 1903 to get it exact. <laughs> the old head uh, of the group. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was uh, the youngest of four. My mother was uh, a single parent. Uh, father wasn't in my life, not you know, not really. I, he was in and out. Uh, knew my father, but didn't didn't spend a lot of time with him. Uh, my mother was the, I mean, man, workhorse. I mean, a true, true worker, and, and was and is still my hero. Like. I, where I grew up was in, in Henson. I grew up born in, in, in Henson Projects and then moved out to the west side of, uh, of uh, in the Maryville area years later. But I saw the struggles of my mother on a day-to-day basis. It was wake up at 6 a, 5.30 a.m., catch the bus to work to her first job, catch the bus to work to her second job, and then she would get home about 11, 11, 11 p.m. Hmm. every day, Monday through Friday. And through that, those days, I think it really shaped me as a man because I saw someone work their asses off. Like, my mother worked her ass off for her kids. Mm-hmm. And the way she kept us off the street was we went to school, we go to the YMCA or the church 
or whatnot. But that's how she kept us off the street because she wasn't there to parent us during the day. So my sister Monica took a hard, you know, took it on the chin for, for the most of the family based on the fact that she was the oldest and she would, you know, cook, cook for us. And I'm talking, she's seven years older than I is, but I am, but can you imagine a kid like 12, 13 years old having to take care of everyone, having to take care of all, all the kids, mm-hmm. you know, in the house. So that's what my, my sister was like. I always say she's, you know, mom 2.0, you know, she's, she's the next mom, but my mother, my mother and then my sister. And then I had two, uh, two brothers as well. So, I grew up in that in that situation, and in growing up, I, I had so many ways I could have gone. The past I could have gone, um, and I, you know, guys always say, "Man, you guys were poor growing up," but I don't remember being poor. Mm. You know, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was. Like you know, when I look back at it, and I say, "Damn, we didn't have a lot." <laughs> <laughs> but when, in the, when I was in the moment, we were just kids. Right. You know, a mother provided for us, and and we did things. Uh, you know, maybe we didn't do things that a lot of rich kids, but but I didn't know, didn't know any, any better. Different, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. You know, when I really found out, guys, that I was I was poor. I can tell you the story. And if my mother ever listens to the story, she's gonna feel. A, I know I feel bad about this telling the story, but I remember feeling poor when we didn't have water to the house one day. And I remember my sister taking me to the grocery store across the street and using the hose to shower. Hmm. How old were you? Seven. Gosh. Seven, eight. And I don't think my mother ever knew that I remembered that situation. I, don't, I knew my sister didn't remember because I talked to her about it years later, and she was like, you, I, I thought no, you would never remember that. Took me mm. with soap in hand, and that's where I bathed. Mm. And that's when I started thinking, oh, you know, hey, look. And then when I look back at it, I think, man, I, my kids, my four kids, I wouldn't, you know, man, that'd be tough to deal with, you know. And the reason why I'm the person that I am, I'm so type A and anal and I work so damn hard is because that hose moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not going back to that. I refuse to go back to that, that situation. That's why I work so hard. Do you, do you think that that specific moment changed anything with you? Absolutely. You think, you think that was a pivotal moment? Absolutely, your, because it's still it's – still, plays a part of in, in my life, my day-to-day life. When I get up those days, I don't want to go don't go get it and do it and, and work my butt off and uh, sacrifice going to the gym or whatnot or, or, or take the time to, to, to read through a project to, 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 you know, for business or whatever it is. And, and even in football, like, you know, there's times in football you just don't want to go out there. You just don't want to hit the field. Mm-hmm. And I would go, my mind would take me back to that moment. If we're running gassers or sprint, my mind would take me back to that moment to say, I'm not going back to that. I'll bust my ass. I'll do whatever it takes to run through that wall. But that moment changed my life. Really did. So you're going through this, right? And you make this this conscious shift, like even at that young age, like, wow, like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. Um, so what did, what did you tangibly change or at that point, where did that direction go and say, okay, Hey, I'm motivated now, whether it's pop Warner football yeah. or whatever it is that, okay, my way out is this. And, and that choice between watching everyone around you, like, okay, here are my options. And we talked earlier today, mm-hmm. you said there was two options where I grew up. Yeah. Walk us through that. As you go, okay, hey, I can go this way or I can go that way. Yeah, I think my, my options were easy. And I, I knew when I was 
You know, I t- I've told my kids before in the past, I knew when I was seven, eight, or eight years old that I was going to play football. Mm. I knew it. Like it, You didn't have to tell me anything else. I knew that I was going to play in the NFL. Period. What, what do you think started that, though, well, it was at just seven years old? Because I was a damn good football player. I'm just going to say it. No, I'm serious. If Pop Warner... I could see football. you being a little bully out on the field, right? <laughs> it, was, it was the craziest thing. I couldn't hit a curveball. Uh, I, I've never been a, a very good basketball player, but okay. I've seen you play basketball. You're not very good at basketball. <laughs> Anywho, I'm going to duck a few times on you. Um, I, you know, I just didn't I, – I mean, football just came easy to me. Mm. Tackle that guy. Get, I, get mm. him on the ground. It just it, – it, the game was always – Easy to me now. It got harder as I grew up. But at a at a young age, I was known in 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 that area as a, a very good football player, and yeah. it just stuck with me. So early on, it was sort of like my identity, I guess. What I would say yeah. is that yeah, Woodson can play. Woodson's a good you know football player, and and people talked about it uh, through the process. And I think you know the the ability to play football at a high level early gave me that name, and it kept the gangs. The guys that I knew that were in gangs kept them away because they always looked at me as like, oh, what he just he's oh, just a yeah. football player. He's not he's, he not, he's yeah. not banging with us. You yeah. know, he's just he's a football player. So it kept me out of a lot of trouble uh and, and not getting into that. Matter of fact, my best friend, uh Keith Tucker, best buddy, grew up together. I mean, he was born in October, I was born in April. I was like five, six months, you know, before him. But we lived right down the street from each other all our lives. And being my best friend, he took that road. He went that road of the gangs, the drugs, you know, it, and this happened in high school. I mean, he's my dearest, my best, even to this day, he's my best friend. So his road was join the Crips, started gang banging, started slinging dope. Um, our senior year, we graduate, both of us graduate. I graduated, I don't know how, why the school allowed him to graduate because I think they were just trying to get him out of there. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, hey, they were like, hey, you got all Fs, find a way to get him out of If you of show the up to graduation, we'll give you a diploma. We'll give you a get diploma. Get out of here. Just, just leave the premises, please. <laughs> so he graduated, and six months later, he gets charged for, for murder and does 26 years in prison. And I'm telling you, man, the walk, that walk, you could just see it. Best buddies and our freshman year, we're tied at the hip. We had been tied at the hip all our lives. Freshman year, still tied at the hip. Sophomore year, everything just went totally opposite. He started going with, the, with this wrong group. Uh, I was scared to death of my mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was scared. As, I mean, that, that was my fear. My well, mother was ask, would, how tempting was it to go my mother would that path that you're kill me. Yeah. Like, honestly, kill me if I thought about slang and dope. Yeah. I'm serious. That was the fear. So, okay, so my my question. So she worked her ass off, right? And she yeah. was always there to provide for you. But how do you, as a kid, stay motivated to stay on that track when your mom's working so much, right? Yeah. And the accountability now falls. Yeah, you, you've got your older sister and your two older brothers there, but a lot of it falls on you. Yeah. So how how did you find that like self accountability at that age? Like, was it just strictly out of fear? No, like, it, fear. So the fear yeah. fear has always surrounded me and made me the and I made the best decisions based on fear. Yeah. I had two uncles who did time, hard time in Florence prison in, in Arizona. I had Uncle Sam who did twenty some in and out of incarcerated twenty some years back and forth in and out. 
and trying we to would, take money out of people's pockets. Tell, man, but more than I was going to say, I'm yeah, more, yeah, didn't, didn't work. <laughs> that went way over my head. More than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, Tyler. Good uh, job, man. But Sam was a guy who was a street legend, but always found himself in prison. And he was my mother's brother, youngest, mm-hmm. uh, youngest brother. And we would go visit him in Florence. And if you've ever been into prison and when those gates close on you. It's a sound that. Oh, yeah. it's real. Yeah, it, it's, it's real. real. And especially at a young age, eight, nine years old, going with her to go visit Sam and to watch that, see that big wall that was in Florence. And, and you know, it was savagery, man. I just thought, mm-hmm. but like, I, there's no way I could ever live in a box like that. So that, mm-hmm. I think that was a huge deterrent for me early on, but to watch Keith go through that process and for me to be at going to visit my uncles at Florence all those years and then come back and not visit and then to go have to go see Keith years later, who's a guy who's like in my split image, you know, we best of buddies, man. I know his deepest, darkest secrets to see him go 26 years in prison and to visit him, have to visit him. I took my, my kids, I took my, my oldest son, uh, to go see him a number of times, mm. to go see him, uh, you know, later on. But man, I, I made the decision based on the fact that I could not see myself in jail. Can, it, can we go, can we go into that right? And I know that this is a hard time right, to see your best friend go through that. But what does that conversation look like between you and Keith when you go visit him for the first time? When at, oh, at that man. initial, what is that conversation from him to you like, man? Like, I can't believe it. I mean, what does that look like? I, I The first time it was, you know, going to, you know, talking to him in jail. And he was in jail before he went to prison. Mm-hmm. So he was going through the court case. And I was in college. That was my freshman year in, in college. And to sit down with him and the emotions, like he'd already been crying before mm-hmm. he saw me. His mom showed up. His father showed up. And he knew the circumstances. He knew this was not going to be. You know, a, a good outcome. A, a week in jail. Yeah. This was going to be a lifetime of jail, and and the the heartache was to know if trying to figure out if the sentence was going to be a lifetime in prison, or there there was going to be an end date, maybe twenty five, thirty years, or whatnot. That was the hard part. Yeah, uh, of going through that. So for me, it was emotional because he's a part. He this guy's a part of me. This is the same kid when. When we were in in grade school, when we got into fights, you know, he that's who you want rolling right, with. He you. was yeah. right next yeah. to me, like like people say, "Oh, he's ride or die." No, this dude was ride or die. Like, I, I mean, I'm getting my ass kicked. Here he <laughs> here comes Keith, yeah. you know, or or vice versa. He just had each other. We were bro- we weren't even fa- we weren't even friends. We were family. Yeah, and to see your family going, it's almost like a death, man. I really is, and that's the first time I saw him. We knew he was going to do some really, you know, a, a bit, a long bit. And uh, sitting there and him saying to me, I remember him saying, look, it was my freshman year at Arizona State. And he said, I will never see you play in person. And that was a hard one, man. Knowing that, I mean, man, I look at, you know, I, I've, I've told the story before to kids. And I'm like, there is so much truth to that story because you can make, you know, the decisions you make. An early age, an early age can really it can affect the rest of your life. Mm. Period, whether it be good or bad. At that age, he was 18, 19 years old. Changed the decision he made changes his entire life forever. Even today, he's out now, but it's still. 
it's tough. It was, you know, it was a really hard time. His, his life, not only his, but but yours too, yeah. right? And and again, you had a choice, right? How am I going to let that affect me? So you had that conversation. I'm never going to let you. I'm never going to see you play football. But what was that choice going forward? Did that heighten your motivation? Did that, you know, were you were you upset? Were you, um, you know. Did, were you mad? Were you what was what no. was that feeling going out of that? Like was it like man, you're an idiot? Like what are you what are you thinking? Yeah. Like what was that like your mindset? Like obviously crushed, right? You lost yeah. your brother, but yeah, but it was more of a depressed state for me. It wasn't like uh, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel for him. Mm-hmm. Like I knew my I had dreams and aspirations, and it's almost a lot of it's it's like a feeling of guilt mm-hmm. as at the same time because I knew what I where I was going. I was going to school. I was going to Arizona State. Um, I had football and I had school in front of me. I had a whole life in front of me. For him, it was just, it was like the end of the road. And it's not, you know, you're not promised tomorrow, especially when you go to prison, man. It's just, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in prison. So his life wasn't promised. And I can always remember that. Like, I mean, damn, am I seeing, you know, what, am I ever going to get the call while I'm in college? Mm-hmm. Coach comes up to me and says, hey, your friend got murdered, mm-hmm. you know? While he was in prison, because he was gang affiliated, and you go in, you go into prison, you know, and that's in those terms, you never, never know. So I, it was, it was sort of a depression because I was, I was practicing, going through school, feeling guilty, knowing that he was behind bars, mm-hmm. and even when there were times where I felt like I need to go see him, um, and I couldn't because I was at train, I was at camp yeah. or whatnot. I couldn't go do those things uh, until the season ended, and then I go visit them. But those are some those are some hard, hard times to go through. Mm-hmm. Talk about talk about the first couple of years at Arizona State, right? You mm-hmm. you like you said, you were that that kid that was known to be the best football player on the team. Young, you go through high school, you you choose to stay home, go to Arizona State. What was that transition like from high school to college for you? Because for a lot of guys, it's it's very different, right? right. So everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, speed increases. Like, it's yeah. harder, ball's harder. But there, it, there's so much more to that transition than just the game. Yeah, right? you know you know what, for me, you know, I, honestly, it, the, the game wasn't the transition. My transition was this. I, I came out and I was what they called a Prop 48. And ben, you're too young to know. What a prop for you are. Well, they didn't have them in West Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They were all Yale Yale bound in West Texas. (laughs) Man, I went to Fresno State, the last the last prop forty eight school in the NCAA. So Really? You know exactly. My class was the last prop forty eight class. Wow. Okay. We we were much too sophisticated for all that. Yeah, yeah, y'all drinking your your West Texas wine. (laughs) So whatever. But anyway, so Tyler knows what the what a prop forty eight. So basically I had to sit up. My grades weren't good enough. I had to sit out my first year of football yep. at Arizona State. and Couldn't be affiliated with the team, right? I had to work out with all the yep. other props. Yep. I had and to work out. I couldn't touch, I couldn't touch yeah. football. Anything organized football, I could not be around. And for me, from playing since I was seven years old, never missing a season and going all the way oh. to that freshman year. Yeah. And then, you know, basically being known as a guy that had this identity of playing football – and then getting in and, and go, trying to go to college and then being a Prop 48 and not being associated with the team. Mm-hmm. The problem I had was this. My, my buddy was in, going to prison. I had to sit out that first year, and I just felt dumb. I mean, when you're a prop, I mean, I don't, I don't know how everybody else that was a Prop 48 felt, but I just felt like I'm just not smart enough to get this done. Mm-hmm. 
like the embarrassment that came along with that was so it was staggering. Like yeah. it, because as we, as you well know in the locker room, yeah, it's unforgivable. <laughs> Unforgivable. <laughs> They'll say things to you in the locker room like, dude, you're too dumb. To, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know. prop. Yeah, hey, prop. Come here, man. <laughs> hey, you big dummy. You know, and I, and I felt like, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm a smarter kid than that. Yeah. I just didn't get, I didn't have any effort. I just didn't give any effort. Yeah. And it took In the me, classroom. In the classroom. Yeah. And, it, and it took that first year to go through that embarrassment to have a coach like Lovey Smith, who was my father, who became the, my father figure, to say, hey, listen. Here's the game plan. You're going to go to school. You're going to do this, A, B, C, and D, and get this done. And I had another guy named Don Baki who was, I mean, a phenomenal man who was there. He was a scouting uh, scouting coordinator. Was he Arizona in Chicago State. with Lovey? No, he never did. He stayed at ASU. He's still okay. at Arizona, okay. Arizona, Arizona State right. today. But stood by my side throughout that process that first year. And, and just I just went to school, and I got my grades right, and they checked up on me, and they did all the little things. Uh, that was, you know, now that I, I look back at it years, years later after I got drafted by the Cowboys, man, but I have so many people and I know I'm sure we all have the same story. There's no way I'm sitting here, man. Yeah. I'm I, I, I am so blessed, man, to have good people in my life that just encouraged me through the process. Seriously. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way I'm standing here if I did it, if I thought that I did it by myself, I just, I'm not even close. Yeah. And and that's and that's life, right? And that's out of the yeah. transition, right? There's people that, although you know you're the superstar on the field, like there's a transition, and people invest in you. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we all have those people that believed in us, right? And mm-hmm. and invested their time and effort so that we can be successful. And that's that's ultimately like how everybody rises to prominence, right? Mm-hmm. Is someone invested in them yeah. at some point? And I can tell you this: Don Baki being the, the the recruiting coordinator for the for Arizona State would show up at school, and I don't. You know, I'm sitting putting Baki on blast now, but <laughs> I'm not sure if it was against the rules or what. But Baki would sit outside my classroom to make sure that I went to class in high school. And he would sit outside because I was close to being a prop. I mean, I was like really yeah. close, and I had to pass a few classes. He uh-huh. knew that. He would sit out for that my science class and say, "Hey, I want to uh-huh. make sure you're here." At 7 30, 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. Oh, oh, in so, high school? Oh, yeah. In high hey, school. So not uncommon. So we had a guy back in Clovis High uh, that was a receiver. And he was, I think he led our section, was top two or three in the state of California, which obviously we'd know what happened if Arizona played California in high school football, what would happen? Uh, destroy you. Yeah, guys. come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> can't even say that with a straight face. I can't. <laughs> but, no, so we had a head coach that went was our head coach at Clovis High who went to Fresno State and then came back, and he did the exact same thing. Mm. He came back on a visit, right, and he would go meet with the coach, but he would literally walk this guy, and I'm not going to put his name out there, he would walk this guy to class three yes. days a week just to make sure. And the other two days he didn't go, but they knew how many days he had <laughs> yeah, to show up. Yes. Yes. And he yes. was there. No. All right, so you had these guys that invested – Invested in you, obviously, like, you know, we, we, we know the story, you know, that's that's put on, uh, you know, that's been written about you and put on film and all this stuff. But, like, what did that college career look for? You, you, you know, you come out of your prop year, take a year off, but you progressed into a starting role as, as yeah. a, a leader in that program. Um, you know, prior to, you know, draft day, what was that experience like for you at Arizona State? Being home, because there's some challenges, right? Staying yeah. home, Stay at and, home and, and going to school. That's what I was going to ask earlier is what – 
led you to Arizona State? I mean, I'm sure you were a top recruit. I'm sure every single school in the country was after you. What made you want to stay home? Don Bakke. And I just mentioned him. Don Bakke is the reason I went to Arizona State. Mm. Period. Point blank. And, you know, I owe, you know, this guy out of, I think he's out of Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And if you saw Bakke, you would say, yes, he's from Pot. He's the... (laughs) He's the definition of Pottstown, Pennsylvania. But (laughs) tough, little small Italian guy, rugged. I'm talking as rugged and would walk into Maryville High. And Maryville High was not the – Maryville High was a very rough school. Culturally very different than Pottsville, (laughs) Pennsylvania. (laughs) But he would show up, man, and – he just poured so much into me, like so much wisdom into me. And, you know, again, not having a father that was in my life day to day, I didn't have a man that would tell me what to do. Hell, I was the man that was telling, you know, uh-huh. I'm the one that was telling myself. My mother was there. But to have a man step in and say, hey, look, this is what you have to do. And I actually respected that man. That said a lot, man. Because yeah. there weren't a lot of men that I actually respected at the time. And he just laid it out, gave me a game plan. You know, people always talk about having a vision. You know, you have to follow the vision. I think that's BS. I really do, man, like following a vision. I think if someone lays it out, I don't care if it's a coach or an executive, it's not about the vision. It's about the person leading the vision. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It's about, you know, Baki, you know, he had a vision, but I had to follow him first. Mm. Before, before I followed the game plan of, of what we needed to do. And that, that game plan was, hey, I just barely missed being a Prop 48. But he still, even after the fact, I still followed him and he said, hey, here's the vision going forward. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to go through this process. You're still Darren Woodson. You're still a good football player. You're still a good student athlete. You're going to do the right thing. you got to sit out this year. you got to just trust me. Mm-hmm. Just believe in me. And I believed in him, man, and it panned out in the end. So, so one, one of the things that I hear, though, and tell me how important this is, especially your childhood, right? And having a male figure uh, not always be there, right? The the importance of consistency, yeah, right? In all aspects of life, whether it's on the field, whether it's off the field, whether it's whatever that is, but consistency. And it sounds like that was the first male figure you had that was consistent there for you. Yeah. And so talk about, you know, the importance of that and then how – you know, the respect for that, because a lot of people can talk, right? A lot of people, yeah. and you talk about the leader, right? And I look at leaders that in the corporate world that I had in the, in the locker room and in the, in the meeting rooms, like some great leaders, like from a vocal standpoint, say the right things, but yeah. it's more about like doing the right things consistently. I, I firmly believe that, you know, if you're a leader, you got to serve. You, you, you like, you know, and I've heard this, you know, people have said that before in the past and I was like, what do you mean by that? But you have to serve like you could, and, and I'll give you an example with Baki. He would do the little things with me. Mm. He would show me by going through the process with me, mm-hmm. like basically holding my hand, saying, "Okay, this is how you do it." Two or three times, not talking about it. Well, yeah. you got to do this, 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 and that. He would actually show me by being there going through it with me and then I then I was like oh okay I firmly believe and and then I started to really see the discipline in his life and the things that he was doing with his family and with his kids and how far he had to drive from Arizona State 
all the way to the west side to meet me at my class at 7.45 a.m. That is a commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that to me, I, I just thought, man, this this guy is like a, an angel because I never saw a man do it the right way. Mm. Not a grown my mom, yeah, but other than that, I never saw a man that was loyal and actually did it the right way. So, yeah. so was trust an issue for you growing up, especially with male? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, you kind of mentioned it, you know, driving across the across town from Arizona State to, you know, your high school at 745 in the morning. What other ways did he build that trust within you? What other ways did he put himself out there so that you knew he was after it for your heart and he wasn't after it because you could, you know, make as much money in football? You know, what I, I saw I spent time with his wife and his family. And I think that's what, you know, you know, I've always I guess I've always been enamored by um Men and women who were married and had kids. Like the men, the man was in the life of the kids. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up in an area where it's usually mom or grandma who's raising the kids. So to see Baki and Coach Lovey Smith, who were God fearing men, loved their wives, loved their kids, poured into their kids. And they had their own problems. I mean, I'm telling you, I know they had their own problems. They, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of but I just saw the sacrifice of men. Like, they were real men. They were open the door for their wives. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Don Bakke used to all, you know, Lovey Smith used to say, my wife, when you're over my house and my wife's about to walk, you know, walk through the door, she better not touch the knob. You know, <laughs> so I was like, that's a man. That is a man. And that's yeah. the reason I, wait, I wanted to raise my kids. I just thought, man, that's that's unbelievable that you do, you know, get out the, the car and you open your wife's door. He just they just both those guys just did the little things. And I think that's they earned that respect from me. Mm-hmm. They really did, because I just saw that, that men could actually do it the right way. So <clears throat> talk about. I want to hear a little bit about your Arizona State. You're rising to prominence. You know, you're you're the guy, right? Like you're the defensive captain. At, you know, obviously you you had success, but you hadn't had success on that level before, yeah. right? People are coming to you. I don't know back then if they even made jerseys because I think they were sweaters back when you played football. <laughs> <laughs> And leather helmets, go ahead. Finish it off. No face masks. No face masks. Yeah, Yeah, suspension helmets, you know, the whole deal. Keep going. But, like, so so now you've got these people that come, like, to watch Darren play, right? Because they know that they're going to be seeing you on Sundays at some point. How did you handle that? How did that affect you? Right, wrong, or indifferent, right? And, like, that's the whole thing is, like, transparency like I didn't handle it well in college mm. right like I, I didn't like I felt like I worked hard but like I also like I don't know I was kind of a piece of crap in college to be honest with you you still like, are a piece of crap yeah, yeah but don't tell my wife changed. that I've, I've fooled her for 10 years <laughs> <laughs> but but how did how did that affect you through that time and then like thinking okay hey as I'm thinking about the next level like you know what do I think about the guys around me again yeah. and not, and, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because I want to come back to the leadership, right? Yeah. Because I've talked to guys that played with you mm-hmm. and I talked to guys that the the amount of respect that they had for you was completely different than a lot of these other guys that I played with. So talk about Arizona state. And then I want to get into the transition into the NFL. You know what? I think the best thing that happened to me at Arizona state was that I was a prop 48 and I had to sit out that first year because I, I had to sit back with humility and I couldn't even go to the games. They yeah. couldn't give me a ticket to Crazy. go to the game. Yeah. So I would have to sit in my dorm 
and watch the game or go to we have these little common areas and watch the game and see the fanfare and the, you know how it is at you know any stadium a big school stadium yeah. it's seventy some thousand fans and they're all doing tailgating like, yeah yeah the high school you played at <laughs> yeah anyway, we, we didn't play but, for that many probably that. <laughs> but you know they would be tailgating and all and I was not a part of it and there was so much humility to go through that process yeah. like I had to swallow a lot of pride and eat a lot of crow in in, in that situation but watching it from afar really I mean. It was a humbling experience, and then when I was able to play, it always took my mind back to, you know, you know, people would always say, "Why are you so hungry? Why are you hitting so hard in practice? Why are you going under?" Because I missed an entire season. Yeah, I sat. They, they took football away from me, so I was just so happy to be back on the field that it, I, I didn't feel like. I know what it felt like not to have football yeah. in my life, and I just just appreciated every moment that I had. At practice, and people used to, you know, I used to hear these the guys in, in college. They'd be, you know, bitching and moaning in the locker room. Why are we doing this? We got to. My body hurts. Yeah, We've been had pads yeah. the last thirteen days. You know, Phoenix. It's one hundred and twenty-five, and they got us out here, man. And I just ate it up, man. I just yeah. felt like I was. And I'm telling you, my entire football career, you weren't going to get any complaints out of me. Yeah. I, I just that's one thing I, dude, I've we heard. were, per, you know. Well, it's I was the, so happy to just be on the football field. It's that whole concept. I'm not going back, right? You took yeah. the ball away from me. I'm not going back to that water hose. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go backwards. That, that's a great point because everybody wants success, right? For the most part, we yeah. we can all agree that we want success. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about your story so far? You've said the t- two most pivotal points of your life were showering in the water hose, yeah. and not being able to play football. Yeah. Not not the best game. Yeah. Not, you know, getting a scholarship, you know, it, those so, two so things. talk about that because I think I think that's that's a key point here. Yeah. Is well, that you've took two very negative situations and you said those were the two what's your purpose? two of the biggest yeah, I tell you what, what's your purpose and what motivates you? Uh-huh. What makes that coward that you look at every day? You get out of bed, do you see you look at that coward in the mirror and the coward wants to get back in bed every day. Every day, he just, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this. And it's just that that feeling of defeat. And I'm not going to get defeated by my brain, man. Mm. I am not. Michael Irvin used to have this saying back in the day. He used to always say that. Actually, it was Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson and Michael Irvin stole it from him. But he'd always talk about, you know, the brain being a coward. Mm. And you have to find ways to, to get over the brain and, and get past that point of you know letting the brain defeat you and 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 i and it's so true because you know every day i I wake up it's the same thing i have i still have you know 10 surgeries i still have all these aches and pains but i'm not gonna let my brain win man Mm went out i'm just not Mm. you know i'm i'm not built that way to just succumb to what my body's feeling like and what my brain is trying to tell. I just, I'm just not that way. So the negativity that I've had in my life, the water hose or, you know, being a prop 48 and having to sit out those years, those, those moments motivate me every single day to this day. Hmm. It's not like you forget, you don't forget. You go back to those things at your highest moments. When in the Super Bowl, one hmm. of my highest moments, I'm still thinking about the water hose the next day. Hmm. The very next day. And I think that's been my encouragement, and that's what's uh, made me the man that I am. Yeah. Well, and another thing you said was how you phrased that. You said, I'm thankful 
for those moments. Yeah. You didn't just say, you know, those were those are great moments. They were pivotal. They were great, whatever. I was no, I'm actually thankful for those moments. Yeah, I had to go through those moments in my you had life. To. I had to. Because if I didn't go, if I if they didn't hold me out that first year and I wasn't a prop, I would have been like Tyler. I would have been a jerk. Mm-hmm. Average I'm not is just dirt. saying. I'm I mean, just saying. average is a good word. I'm but, just saying. But I would, you yeah. know what? I probably would have, if I was a high recruited guy, which I, you know, I was recruited and all, but if I didn't have to sit out that first year, I couldn't, I mean, looking back, I probably couldn't imagine the kind of person I was. Maybe I'm, I would have yeah. been different. Maybe I would have been really yeah. arrogant and expected things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, you know, you know, for every one of us, and my story is not that bad. I, on it, I know that because there's so many people that have, you know, stories in their lives that, mm-hmm you know, or quadruple worse than what I've gone through. But my story is built off of how did I overcome the obstacles that I had to overcome? And the way I did it was, okay, this happened. Okay. How do I get better? Yeah. That happened. How do I overcome that and and get past that obstacle? And I I feel like even today I'm still going through these, there's a lot more that I've had to go through. I just find, I just try to continue to find ways to overcome them. Yeah. And that's and I love that. Right. You don't let you don't let your circumstances define you. Right. You let them shape you, but you don't Mm -hmm. let them define you. And there's so many guys and and, and even guys in these locker rooms here. Right. Mm -hmm. Still to this day. Right. There's excuses as to why they do what they do and and the behaviors that they that they have. And there's an excuse like, oh, I grew up in. Yeah. And I'm not going to say an East Texas town, but there's always certain excuses for some of these guys as to why they are. And anybody that comes across you has has the opportunity to get to know you even just a little bit will know that all of those hard circumstances you use to say, okay, how am I going to get better? Mm-hmm. How am I not going to go backwards? How am I going to progress? And that's different, right? And that's what the show is. Okay, we want to talk to the people that have taken those circumstances, really hard circumstances, and use those for something better as opposed to letting it define you and then hold you down. Yeah. Or you've got an excuse because everybody's got an excuse, right? Yeah. Everybody has them. Everybody, but are you going to use them, right? Uh, my wrestling coach in high school, and I've said this a bunch, and everybody's, you know, excuses are like assholes, right? Yeah. Everybody's got them and they all stink, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. But what, so right. nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. But go prove it. You know, prove that you're different than those circumstances. Yeah. You know what I feel like, though, as well? I feel like I'm running out of time. I've always felt this way. Huh. I've always felt like there's not enough hours in the day. One and Benny, you and I have had this conversation because I'm always oh, telling, I'm yeah. always complaining to Ben, man, I just don't have enough time to do. I got to get this done and this done. You but, act like you're busy or something. I, I just <laughs> always felt like I'm running out of time. And let me tell you a way I, I really figured this out the other day. So I have a three year old boy. You guys know Judea, three years, three years old. Wait, how old are you? I'm fifty. Let me finish this. Time has always been a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. And it just just the other day it reminded me of I'm in the shower. My three-year-old, he's in the shower. I'm in the shower. I'm scrubbing him down. And I'm sitting there looking at him. And I said, man, when he gets 50, I won't be around. Huh. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I mean, my circumstances are a little different because I've been, I'm so much older now and I had, you know, three, I have a child at at a later age, but I'm sitting there thinking when he hits 50, I won't be around. And I got out of that shower and I was, you know, still in the shower scrubbing him down and I got, I got emotional, man. Like 
I'm, I was emotional at the time. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to pour into this boy. I'm going to pour into my oldest. And my oldest is 26. My daughter's 23. I'm 23. And my, I got a 19-year-old boy. I'm pouring into him, man. Because mm. they're, they're, tomorrow is not promised. Mm. It really isn't. We're going to get into that for sure because that's something I think a lot of people would be interested in is, is fatherhood for you. Mm-hmm. But let's wrap up Arizona State that time there just real quick. Obviously, career went well. Um, at what point at Arizona State did you know, okay, the NFL, you know, it was a dream at seven years old. Yeah. But at what point at Arizona State was it like, okay, this is a real thing. This could really happen for me. My first year at Arizona State, uh, you know, I, I sat out. The second year I was able to play. And – all the defensive, we we were. I was a linebacker in in, in college, a devil back they call it, but as a linebacker slash safety, um, and I was at Lovey Smith's house, and all that the entire linebacker core was at Lovey's house, and we were at Coach Smith's house. I keep calling him Lovey, which is weird, disrespectful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was at Coach Smith's house, and. We're sitting there, and, and you know they're cooking out. And families, his his whole family's there, and all the players are there. And, and we're watching the Arizona, or it was the Phoenix Cardinals at the time, who had just gotten to Phoenix a few years back, mm-hmm. play the Chicago Bears. And Mark Carrier was the safety for the Chicago Bears. He was a kid, the guy that played at USC. He was a phenomenal football player, all American at USC, and then got drafted by the Chicago Bears. So. I'm sitting there watching Carrier. Um, be, he's a safety for the Bears, and I'm sitting there watching him play. And I told, and I'm sitting right next to Coach Smith, and I said, "Man, that guy can flat out play. Mm. Like he's he was All American college. He was that good in college, and now he's that good in the league." And Lovey Smith turned to me and said, "That dude couldn't hold your jockstrap. <laughs> you beat him out today if you were playing." And I. Sat back and I thought, there is no. Wait, you for real? What? Yeah. Wait, you for real? What you talking about? <laughs> what are you telling yeah. me? But he said it and so casually. And then he told me, you know, he said that and then he did something else. And, and I, it stuck with me. And then the next day he said, I shocked you by saying that, didn't I? You know, we were in a meeting. He said, yeah. I said, yeah. And he said, look, man, you're, you're a damn good football player. You're going to play for a lot of years when you get done here. And I think that was the reinforcement mm. of me to to have the confidence and the belief that I'm going to play at the next level. That was it. And Lovey Smith, if you knew his story, I mean, he was a very good college football yep. player, and you know, had Old some Tulsa. time. Yeah, yep. had a little time in the league. I think he, you know, he knew what an NFL player looked like, and he always told me, "You're gonna look, you look like one." Yeah, that wasn't your uncle or your cousin or no. your buddy yeah. telling yeah. you. Yeah. That, that has some. That's somebody who had some weight to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet that felt. It really felt good. good. It felt good coming from him because I looked up to him so much mm. as a man. Absolutely. And you know he was he never blew smoke. Man, no, he's a he is. And Ever. one of the things he says uh, in in every initial team meeting to the to his teams, as he says, I'm I'm not going to treat everyone equal, right? But I am going to treat you fair. Mm. And he goes, mm. I'm not when I when I was in Chicago with him. He goes. I'm not going to hold Brian Urlacher to the same same standard. And he used me the oh. same standards as I do Tyler Clutz. <laughs> and I go, I just kind of sunk down a little bit. But then I was like, damn, he used me the same standards as Brian Urlacher. And I rose back up. Put, you start puffing your chest yeah. out. He remembered my name. 
That's the thing, right? You remember hey, your name, you're good. For real. <laughs> Not for a great reason. Um, okay, so so one of the things that's always been interesting, I never went through this process. Uh, and so interesting to, that I want to hear about that that uh, combine, that transition, you know, that process going into the draft and, and getting drafted, what that looked like when you went through it, yeah. and then like how it's different than it is today, right? Because it's such a spectacle now, right? Yeah. Where yeah. it was a grind, I'm sure, for you going through that process. But go through that and talk us through that because that's something like, yeah, we watch on TV and like we hear, oh, they sit through a lot of meetings and they do bench press and they do broad jump and they do all this stuff. But really, as a player, right, the psyche going through that process, like, I am a piece of meat that's being judged yeah. through this picket line right now, right? Yeah. How do you feel and how exhausting is that entire process? Because really, like, you're thinking, like, if I don't perform right this second, that my future is drastically changed. Exactly. So what was that like for you? Yeah. Knowing you're good enough to play. Yeah. Knowing I'm good enough to play, but just not knowing. Because they bring in the best of the best. Yeah. Because a third-round pick looks very different than a first-round exactly. or second-round pick. Exactly. Right? And you just don't know because – I've seen guys play at Alabama, but I'm on the West Coast. I'm yeah. at Arizona State. I've seen them on TV. Yeah. Or I've heard their name. For sure. Or, You're used to playing like powder blue teams yeah, and not like exactly. real teams, right? <laughs> like Fresno State. Yeah, we got to take jokes. Like Fresno State was like, they were just killing it, aren't they? Anybody, anyway, anywhere, anytime, yeah. man. We'll take them. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> What do you guys call the dogs or something? Bulldogs, Bulldogs. Baby. Yeah. Oh, 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 Bulldog oh, talking man. trash. Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, you hear about guys all the time, like LSU and, you know, all these, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, and you see, hear the names and you thought, oh, okay, there must be good football players. But now you have a chance to size them up. Yeah. And I couldn't wait because, I, you know, I played at, at Arizona State, and the guy that I grew up with was one of my best friends and still is, is Felipe Sparks. Uh, and Felipe and I went to high school together, went to Arizona State together, and Felipe was supposed to get drafted in the first round, ended up getting drafted in the second round like three or four picks after me. And he was a cornerback, mm. ended up getting drafted by the New York Giants. Uh, and Felipe, you know, coming up, you know, we worked out together. We didn't have an athlete's performance or a, a place that you go and work out and the agent pays for. You go to the school yep. and you find time to work out in between the gymnastics class or gymnastics team. Yeah, you don't and have that the, football priority. You anymore. don't. No, yeah. no, you're, you're so, done. So you were you you weren't a student anymore. I wasn't. I was a point. student. Yeah, I was finishing up. I was okay. pretty much done. Yeah, I only had. Felipe had dropped out. He yeah. was done. You didn't finish this season. Spring semester is like, not productive. No, he's <laughs> like, I'm a first round pick. I'm out. I'm out. So I had to, my mom was like, you better get that diploma and get that thing. So I went back. I got. I was done, but I had to work out and then get ready for the combine. So we finally get to the combine, and you know I'm what they call a tweener, linebacker slash safety. They didn't know what they wanted to play me as, and I get to to the combine. It's freezing cold. There's a, you know hundreds of people there, and I remember them taking us into a room before we did the bench press. So the anxiety levels are high anyway, right? Yeah. You like a, feel like a piece of meat, but you walk into this room and they take everything, your shirt off, everything. All put you some, have are your put shorts. Put some grays on, right? All we have was <laughs> shorts, some blue shorts actually, with our little number on them, and it's a dark room, and the lights are hitting you like it's. I was a, it's like a meat yeah. market, man. It's yeah. the weirdest weird. thing. Yeah. And you see them, they're just taking pictures, just snapping pictures. Turn around, turn to the left, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you do all these pictures, and then you get off of that, and you go do your bench press, and 
go from there. And then the 40, for me, the 40 was the anxiety. Yeah. Because I didn't know exactly what I was going to run. I, I really didn't. So, you know, I knew I was going to be low. I just didn't know, you know, how fast. Because all you hear about it, the combine is it's a slow track. It's a slow yeah. track. It's a slow track. So I get there. I ran a pretty good time. I think I ran a 4-4 four, four something. Well, okay, what did you really run? Yeah. No, I was smoking. <laughs> I, was, I, like, I was riding. Yeah, I was smoking. Four, hey, but that's you, not it. That's you, not are, the you are smoking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that, that one clock, that one scout that got your 449. Yeah, and this was four, digital, Official 462. Hey, <laughs> see? And you see how this show was going to go from now on. Um, so I get back. So we do the combine, and you know I, it was so much anxiety. But then I, you know, I run my forty, and then we had to do the drills. And I had so many coaches that were pulling me in different ways. They wanted me, I worked out with the linebackers. They wanted me to stay an extra day and work out with the defensive backs. And I was like, I was so spent oh, from doing all the linebackers. Yeah, are toast. Oh, you're yeah. toast. And they're like, hey, can you stay? And, and I think the rules are probably different. Can you work out and do some things with the DBs? And I was like, man, I. I'm done, man. I and I, and I ended up doing some backpedal drills yeah. with some of the DBs, but that was it. Then I went back home, and my pro day, Felipe and I were there, and again, Felipe is supposed to be the first rounder, so they're coming to see Felipe mm-hmm. for sure. I know Felipe is going to be. I mean, they mm-hmm. they couldn't wait to come see Felipe on pro day because he didn't do much at the combine. So they come and they do the we do the the the, the, the drills at Arizona State on pro day, and I ran a four. Three five on pro day. Hello, downhill. That make you some money. Downhill, downhill. <laughs> wind in my back. Yeah. Wind at the back. <laughs> but I, was that wind aided? <laughs> it was all wind aided. I mean, I, I, I ran I it just, down the ramp into the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really think about it, at that time, all I did every single day was I was like a track star. Yeah, that's all I did was. It was yeah. 40, 40, 40, 40, worked on my 40, and then start, got it start, done. First start, first yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, we didn't have the digital clock on the grass. It was hand. Sundial. I mean, uh, yeah, hand sundial. clock. <laughs> sundial. Sundial. going to wind it up. So, uh, and then Felipe, I think Felipe ran a good time. But I ran, by far, I ran the best time there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the transition hit. Because when I was there, they wanted to work me out as a linebacker. And then you started to see the defensive back coach yeah. and say, Oh, wait, he come can cover some ground. So yeah. I did a little bit of linebacker drills. And then I did a ton of safety drills. And I think how – big, How big were you at this point? I was about 220. And so this is pre-like – Cam Chancellor era safeties, right? Yeah. So, like, the mold of a safety looked very different then. Like, 220 is massive for safeties in in the early 90s, right? No, actually, it wasn't. Really? No, because think about it. Way too much facts right there. You got Dennis Smith. You got Steve Atwater. There were were a lot of, like, the strong uh, Browner. You had a lot of big, strong safeties. Because think about how the game was played in the It was a lot more physical. It was a physical game. And you had guys that were... You know, Waters was in, and Hopkins are in Philadelphia. They were two twenty five, and there, there were the safeties were bigger because you didn't have to cover huh. as much. So, you know, in that in that time, they just didn't know what what I was going to transition to. So, I ended up going. I worked out with all the defensive backs. Uh, I did a ton of drills. Felipe is sitting there helping me through the drill. Like five guys are going. He said, "Hey, look, you got to flip your hips and do this." This. I mean, he's like. 
walking me through the drill, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Because I never did the drills. Yeah, linebacker drills are very, very different, different than drills. Very yeah. different. So, a lot more space. So Felipe's coaching me through the drill, and we finally get done. And I just – I mean, they, all the coaches just wanted to go di- go to lunch, uh-huh. go to dinner that night. And that's that's the reason I think in all pro days is when they saw me and they thought, okay, he's no, he's not a linebacker. He's yeah. a DB. He can run, and he can he has good hips and and – that's when I became a safety. Mm. All right, so so go through the draft, right? You get that call, right? A lot, you know, has gone on in your life, right? You know, you you, you shower in a garden hose across the street. Mm. Uh, your best friend, childhood friend, goes to jail. You prop, you know, you have to go through prop forty-eight year, get football taken away, accumulation on draft day, right? Here's where you realize that dream that you had, you know, six, seven, eight years old. What does that day look like for you? What, um, what were you expecting? That's a great. But what were you expecting going in that day? And then about obviously. exactly where I got drafted, about there early late uh, late first. I I, I think I, I I didn't know for sure for certain. But if I would have dropped in the third, then that that would have been traumatic for me. I would have mm-hmm. really been hurt by that. But I thought late first, early second. Uh, didn't know where I was going to go, but. So the the year before, my roommate, best friend, Floyd, names Floyd Fields, good friend of mine, uh, lived with him for three years at Arizona State, and he was a strong safety. He had gotten drafted in the third or fourth, fourth, I think it was in the fourth round the year before by the San Diego Chargers. So he, I, I watched Floyd go through the process the year before in which we thought he was going in the second, into the second, third round. He slipped to the fourth, and we sat there, and he and I – Watched the draft together, and it just—I you could tell—it just ate him up. Right? Uh, it ate him up sitting there watching it. So he comes back. He's playing for the Chargers. And he comes back on my draft day, and remember, we didn't have cell phones back then. I don't know if you guys understand that. You guys are so spoiled. Uh, you have cell what did, phones. What did you, you guys do? You I mean, no how idea, did you talk did you? to people? <laughs> yeah. How did you Snapchat people? Like I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, we had, we had pagers. <laughs> So Floyd, Which is going to be another conversation, yeah, by the way. Totally. What those pages uh, look like back in the day? <laughs> Do you have the clear, the, the, the colored pager? There was like the see-through clear blue pagers, or would you? No, it was just black. It wasn't mine. Actually, I couldn't afford a pager. So <laughs> Floyd gave me his pager. Didn't work. He just wore it on his hip. <laughs> so Floyd says, hey, look, I don't want you watching the draft. I want you to get out of here. And my mother was there at the house at my, my apartment. My sister, my entire family was at the apartment watching the draft. And Floyd says, I don't want you, you know, at, you know, here watching this. It's going to eat you up. So I end up leaving. And we're going to go to a, a golf course. I was going to go hit balls or something at a golf course. And I actually stopped at a restaurant. Um, and I, I was in a restaurant and I got the call right before I hit the, the golf course. And Floyd hit me up. He says, hey, man, I got great news. And I said, all right, what's, what happened? I knew, did I get drafted? He said, yes, yes, you got drafted. He said, but I got some good news. I got some bad news. And I'm like, 
How could there be anything bad? How could there? It, <laughs> I mean, it's early. Did I get drafted in the first round? He's like, no, no, you didn't get to say. He's, he's so. <laughs> so I'm calling him from a payphone, right? In this restaurant? In this restaurant. Like, re- he, he pages me. I look at the pager. So I call him up. I'm calling from a payphone. And I said, all right, just tell me, man. Stop messing around. He's just he's like you guys. All right, we slow playing it. All right. Uh, good news. You went in the second round, early second, number 37. I was like, Okay, all right, all right. He said, all right, well, here's the bad news. And I'm like, what? What's the stipulation? He said, Dallas Cowboys drafted you. And he knew I hated the Cowboys. Mm. (laughs) Like the team I did not – I mean, the team I hated the most – was the Dallas Cowboys? Like, Whoever the Cowboys played, I wanted them to win. As a kid, as you a hate kid, you? my be- Keith, yeah, my boy was the biggest Cowboy fan ever. Ah, okay, okay. ever. Mm-hmm. And everyone in my school were Cowboy fans. I happened to be a Pittsburgh Steelers right. fan growing up. Ah, okay. So, I any particular there. reason, like the Steelers, why it was the Steelers? Because my sister was a Steelers fan. Okay, and she was seven years older than me, and she okay. kicked my ass as a kid. And she told me. <laughs> You will be Boy, a Steelers, you were gonna be a Steelers <laughs> fan. Exactly. Lance Swan, Stallworth, yeah. you know, me and Joe Green. I mean, I was Joe, Franco here. I was a Steelers fan. Yeah. So I said, wow, the Cowboys, huh? And he's like, yeah. He said, man, look. I don't give a damn where you're drafted, brother. And, Just be happy. And I was happy. I was And this man. is this is 90, 92, spring 92. 92. Yep. Okay. So 91, the team was 11 and 5. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't know that. Okay. Because I didn't watch. Right. I mean, I, I watched. College football, or you know, I, I, we were so focused in yeah. college, we just didn't watch a whole lot of pro football. Yeah. So I didn't know what their their record was. Right. And when I got drafted, I had to. I went through that process of figuring out the team on yeah. the flight because I got drafted the same day. I had to go fly out. So Floyd had already talked to the team to say, "Hey, look, like, but dude, my he's my dude, man." <laughs> He was like, "Look, you know what times you need to be there." You know, so where's your agent? Yeah, you have like, an agent, your agent process? No, he. Well, my agent was in San Diego. Floyd's the one who handled it, and then gave it to my agent to. Wow. He booked the whole deal. Wow. Booked the whole deal. So who, I flew out that pay? night. <laughs> <laughs> I should have paid for it. Uh, so we got it all handled out, man, and and I flew out there and flew out to Dallas and met Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones, man, and it just, you know. I feel like we could do a whole show on that. Oh, on that, we will. Yeah, that was awesome. But so you get there, this team. That, well, okay, let me back up. What was your interview process like? And, and did you interact with the Cowboys at all? Did you have any inclination, like, okay, they, they are showing interest? Because traditionally, right, they will draft guys that they hadn't even interviewed, Dude, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They won't do any private work. They'll bring in thirty guys, work them out, and then they'll draft like three other dudes that didn't even come for the workout. Yeah. So what was that? And did you have any like? I had uh, just a little bit of interaction with with uh, Dave Campo, who was the yeah. defensive back coach oh. uh, with the Cowboys, who later on became defensive coordinator and then the head coach. Yeah. But Campo uh, had he was the one that was doing the defensive back. I couldn't. I didn't. I never put two and two together. Yeah. He's the one that grabbed me and said, "Hey, let's go do some defensive back drills." And mm-hmm. then all the other fifteen coaches came out and started yeah. watching in those drills. But Campo actually ran the drill. Got it. Turn the hips, do this, do that. So that's that was my interaction with the Cowboys. But I didn't, I, I never put two and two together. Huh. Uh, and then you know, it's years later, one of the things that Campo said was, "Dude, I sat there and watched you run a four-three something on that huh. on that grass." And he said that got you drafted because huh. we needed a big, strong, fast safety. Yeah. So that's what 
that was the day. So, so walk us through what that moment was like, though, when, you're, when uh, your buddy called you, said, hey, you just got drafted. So this whole life, like Tyler mentioned earlier, this lifelong dream was finally accomplished, finally realized. What was that exact moment? What, what, what was your first thoughts? What, what was going through your head at that moment? Uh, just a ton of emotions, man. I don't know if it was, you know, I, I, don't, I wasn't that emotional at that moment. Because it was it was such a surprise first, and that he, when he said the Dallas Cowboys, that surprised me. And then it was like, okay, what's what do I have to do next? Mm. Like I, I always knew that I knew I was going to get drafted, but I was trying to figure out what's next. What do I have to do? So I got back home, and thank thank God Floyd had gone through the process the year before. But he just sat me down and said, hey man, just relax. When you get down there, you're gonna get to know everybody. It's a different world. It ain't college football anymore. It's a business. So we went through all that process. We had that conversation. And I, I, I remember getting on that plane, and I was excited, but then I was nervous as hell. Like, mm-hmm. I was more nervous than I was excited. Yeah. Because I didn't know what, what was on the other side. Just a bunch of grown men on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, in Phoenix, it was – I went to school in Phoenix and went to Arizona State. I was in my bubble. Flying to Dallas. First of all, I didn't know where Dallas was. Secondly, I was like, I got here and I was like, is someone supposed to pick me up at the airport? You know, I didn't, I just right. didn't know, man. I didn't right. know what to expect. Right. You know? yeah. All right. So, so you get there. Uh, and, you know, obviously this is an organization on the rise. Jerry had owned the team for, what, four years at this point. Uh, Jimmy Johnson starting to turn things around. Um, what, as you come in, right, what was your experience? Because like I said, I just kind of joked about it. There's a bunch of grown men on the other side of it. Yeah. But it's a different game, right? Right yeah. Now you're playing against 30-year-olds, 31-year-olds, thirty guys that, that were in college before you were even mm-hmm. in high school yeah. or guys that were in the pros when you were in high school. Right. And so, like, you get here, and, and what are those guys? What are those guys that you walked in the locker room here in Dallas at Valley Ranch, and you're like, that's a guy I need to follow around? Mm-hmm. Or that's the guy that's doing it right. Yeah, that you know, that's a good, great question, man. Because when I came in, you know, I didn't watch a lot of pro football, but then I did see, you know, of course, everyone knew Troy Aikman at UCLA. Yeah, played in the Pac Pac Ten. You missed him though in the plane, right? No, he, I, I missed it. Yeah, I missed him. But yeah, I, but I'd seen him play a little bit at, at UCLA, and you, you know, he was like, you know, the first pick. So I knew who Troy was. Um. I knew who Michael Irvin was just because of TV and, you know, as flamboyant as he was. Uh, So I knew that. I I didn't really know Emmett. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know a lot of the players. Like, it it was so brand new to me to walk in the locker room and then see guys that that were good football players. I just didn't know who they were. Yeah. And I think that was a pot. I think that was a good thing because I wasn't as starstruck walking in as opposed to some of the guys who came in who were Cowboy fans. They were like, oh, can I get your autograph? And I was like, eh. you know. So I walk in, and I go through this process of trying to figure out. It's like you're trying to figure out the lay of the land and how the tempo goes and how things are supposed to be run. And when I and I get here, and again, not knowing anyone, I just didn't. You know, I was just trying to follow other people's lead. Yeah. And it took me until training camp to really figure out the lay of the land. Yeah. It really did. I mean, it took me a while to figure out because you know the big. You started to figure out. Okay, they're the big name guys, and 
you know, he's the alpha, he's an alpha dog. You know, I, I'm sizing my own guys mm-hmm. up, the defensive backs up to figure out you know, where my playing time is or am I better than this guy? Am, am I not better than this guy? So you're doing all that sizing up because I, I felt, I've always felt like I'm an alpha. Yeah. And when I play, I'm the starter, period. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to back up. So, I, you know, I was trying to size everybody up. But it wasn't until we got to training camp that I really, the light bulb came on to say, you know what? He's the guy. Like, you hear about Mike, you hear about Emmett and Troy and all that. But Daryl Johnston, it, there was something about Daryl Johnston. Like, he didn't back down. What he said really stuck. He played on all phases. Like, he did – not only was he a fullback, but he was on special teams. Uh, he was in all the meetings that I had to be in, and he carried himself like a pro. Like, everyone looked at him and said – He's that's the guy. Yeah. Everyone. And that's when I started to figure out, okay, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Mm-mm. It doesn't matter you know how much notoriety you're getting or if you're the superstar, that guy yeah. is a guy I need to model myself after. Respect is a currency in yeah. the locker room. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Speaking of the the money, not that we want to go too far down that path, but it is interesting to me the way that you knowing the way you grew up, all of a sudden now you're handed all this all this money. And I asked you this earlier. What was the biggest purchase you made? What was the first purchase? Oh, yeah, what color Ferrari did you what, get? Yeah, that's what, we what, what was it like <laughs> to be? <laughs> I'm just I'm just fascinated by that moment of you know because all three of us played played college football and, and there's times you go in you know months with twenty five dollars. Yeah, you're just hungry. You got yeah, nothing. Uh, you got for nothing. real. Like yeah. literally, you can make twenty five dollars last a semester. So what was it like getting that first paycheck, knowing? I made it. Yeah, you know what? I I go back to that, and I, you know, I like I tell you, I, I still didn't know how I felt about the Dallas Cowboys when I first got here. Yeah. I was like, okay, it's still the team I disliked. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I saw the helmet, I was like, man, this is this doesn't even feel right until Jerry signed that check. <laughs> <laughs> I and love the Cowboys. That check, I was like. This I, is God's I always team. Like this, team. Right. this is the Lord. <laughs> the God Lord has blessed this team. <laughs> All right, you're okay. You're okay. I... <laughs> so uh, I end up signing that check, man. And and you know, my, my first purchase to answer your question, my first purchase, real big purchase, was I bought my mother a Honda Accord. Mm. That was the first purchase, and. I, I was, you know, emotional in the sense of my mom used to drive this lime green Nova mm. for years. Or if the Nova was, if the and if the Nova was working, that's one thing. But if it wasn't working, she'd catch the bus. And for years, I was always thinking, if I ever make it to the league, I'm gonna take her, my mom. Yeah. And that I bought her. <laughs> you know, people may make fun of me now, but I bought her a four door. Honda Accord, which was back then was lavish. <laughs> was very that, lavish. Those are the boxy ones too, right? Yeah, the yeah. boxy one, man. But yeah. I didn't, you know, look, I mean, and I know, you know, I surprised her with it. You know, it was like a bye week and I went back to, to Phoenix and, and bought her one and, and showed up on, her, on on a Friday of work and walked her downstairs to the second floor where the where her car was parked and gave her the keys and she just looked at me and just... You know, it's one of those moments, that's man, awesome. in life where you just, you know, you always appreciate Amazing. you know those moments. That's, I mean, that's that's what you know as a as an athlete, right? 
that that we always that that's the ultimate like that's when we've arrived yeah. right when you can give back to your parents that have sacrificed so much for us to play and, and to do and follow our dreaming and, and get to play that and there's a there's a lot of your story that we still have to get to uh, but we got to wrap up for today um, but there's there's this is just the start of the Darren Woodson journey yeah. right yeah. And, and and we dove really deep into you know your childhood and your friends and and college and the prop year and and then getting drafted, and this is just the start, right? Because there was so much more growth for Darren and learning, you know, how to be a pro, how to be a man, yeah. how to be a father. And then the challenges that that these uh, NFL gladiators have to, uh, you know, have to live up to, right? But there's all these things that we go through, and and I want to hear how you overcame them. But I'm just so thankful that you were. You know, transparent with us and shared this, and you know, we got a lot of stories coming on this podcast. So everyone's got to continue to tune into this yeah. because we're going to hear more about. You're Darren. up next, big fella. <laughs> Luckily, I bought myself a week, but uh, but hey, thank you all for joining us so much uh, on the Darren Woodson Show. Thank you for creating this. We're excited to see where this goes, and we're really excited to affect people in a positive way. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you.